everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by Fuelixer. Fuelixer is the sports nutrition subscription box built for endurance athletes and enthusiasts. Every weekend, thousands of men and women strap on their running shoes, hop on their bikes, plunge into pools to train for the next big race. From newbies to Olympic athletes, these individuals are serious about their sports. Spending thousands of dollars on equipment, coaching, and training, all in an effort to reach their peak. They don't know it, but they're missing something. The power they are after isn't in the fancy gear or in coaching alone. The real secret is nutrition. And when it comes to sports performance, what you put in your body matters as much as what you do with your body. Rather than shipping subscribers a random box of sports nutrition products, Felixer builds boxes using a combination of performance data from Strava, nutrition requirements, and taste preferences. Felixer sees the types of workouts you do and gets insights into the weekly training volume. Felixer combines this data with nutrition requirements and your preferences gathered through the Felixer survey. Empowered by sports nutritionists, ex-pro cyclists, competitive athletes, in a little math, Felixer's journey begins by doing the shopping, researching, and calculating for you, the athlete. Felixer makes practicing sports nutrition a personalized experience for newbies all the way to U.S. Olympic athletes. It's easy and fun to get started. All you have to do is go to Felixer.com, connect your Strava performance data, Take a quick nutrition survey, and boom, Felixer selects the sports nutrition gels, bars, chews, hydration, protein, and recovery fuel that fit your individual nutritional requirements and preferences. All you do is you choose your Felixer recommended box size that was calculated based on your historical performance data. With Felixer, you can unlock your potential and really get back to what you are most passionate about. Whether it's cycling, running, or swimming, Fuelixer fuels you. Now, let's tune in to the Fuel Talk podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Pablo Quiroga, and I'm your host. And this is the Fuel Talk podcast. James, Emery. Morning, everyone. How are you, my friend? Good. Good to see you. Sorry I couldn't uh, catch up with the ride this morning. I was a little dogged by uh, by this weekend, and uh, my birthday was yesterday, so I had a long dinner, and it was late, you know? So, but thanks for coming out, man. Who's going to be out? My uh, twin. Uh, my, my Summerlin twin. Oh, man. I told everyone at work... Uh, how you said you were riding with someone and they were talking to him for like 10, 15 minutes, riding along at the end of it. They said, uh, all right, I'll see you later, James. You're like, man, 15 minutes? <laughs> you thought I was him? And uh, uh, I have coworkers all the time. They say, oh, I saw you riding today. How'd you make it to work already? I'm like, I wasn't riding today. Like, Are you serious? That wasn't you? And uh, all the time, I was like, yeah, same hair, black yeah. kid, black yeah. bike. And I'm like, yeah, it was Pablo. Yeah. All the time. I love it. That's awesome, man. That's cool. That's even, cool. Even my, you got my wife. You got her oh, yeah. time, too, because she called me. She's like, I just saw Pablo, and I knew it was him because I thought 
thought I was looking at you. I looked at my clock. And I was like, he's supposed to be at work. I was like, Pablo. <laughs> Right on, right on. Um, yeah, man. So tell me about yourself. You know, how did you? I, I know we met. We met. You know, probably during a ride or something, and, and that's how we met. That's the story. Is that you know, um, everyone thought James was Pablo. Pablo was James. Um, I'm I'm just glad they thought I was him because he's a much better rider than I am. <laughs> um, he crushes it. So I was like, sweet, I'm stoked. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, man, uh, what's your origin story? You know, like how'd you um, how'd you come out here to the desert? Uh, it, was, God, it was 1994 in the summer. Uh, my stepmother came to us and said she got assigned out here for work, and we were all moving, so uh, we all moved. It was uh, my mom and uh, stepmom and me first. My dad couldn't get a transfer for work, so it was just her and me. And working for the government, they paid to move us and they paid to relocate everything and um, it was funny is that we had bought a house over in Summerlin right by the Summerlin library but it wasn't done yet so not only was I new to school and everything it was the middle of my freshman year but we didn't have a house to live in so we lived in the Golden Nugget for almost a month and a half almost two months oh wow um, and so every day my mom would take me to school and drop me off and because she had a government job she had to be there at a certain time so she dropped me off at school and I'd be really early. I'd sit outside of Cimarron High School for like a half hour waiting for them to open the gate so I can get in. Get out of here. And then what was really bad is that now I'm the new kid. I, I don't know anyone. I, you know, everyone else had people growing up. And back then it was still pretty small. Yeah. So uh, everyone in high school pretty much knew each other from middle school. And um, so now after school's over at 1.30, my mom's still at work. So I had a standing taxi cab uh, every day. A little taxi taxi minivan to pick me up and take me back down to the golden nugget <laughs> and it was just it was weird being the new kid but then everyone would see me get in this cab after school and like that was this guy's deal right and then uh i'd get to the golden nugget and i'd have like four or five hours before she got home and uh, the front desk manager the hotel manager every everybody knew me everyone had already been uh briefed on who this kid was and that i was going to be alone and they, they knew to keep an eye on me and uh, I wasn't permitted on the casino floor, but I could go to and from the room to the cafe and I could get a meal or snacks or whatever I wanted and then go back to the room. Everything was built in the room and I'd go back to the room and I'd hang out and just wait for my, my mom to get home and then, you know, we'd watch TV and repeat the next day and then finally uh, the house was done a month and a half, two months later and then it was better. We got to right. the community and made a couple friends and uh, then just... After that, uh, you know, just high school, college, went away to UNR my first year, and then like everybody, I came back and uh, finished at UNLV. Okay. Uh, and during that time, it was, I was a typical 20-something-year-old guy, just wanted to go go to the gym and lift weights and be huge and yeah. be as big as I can, lift as much weight as I can. And, yeah. Uh, I ended up getting up to like 250 pounds, or no, 240 pounds, and it was just, I was benching. 350, 400 pounds, squatting like eight, 900 pounds, and it was great until I herniated my disc. Ooh. Yeah, don't don't do that. So, uh, were you taking that jacked stuff? That uh... no, it was just uh, protein shakes. Uh, what was it? It was a weight gainer shake too. I was taking. Two Careful, guys! Protein's gonna jack you up. Oh, man. Protein and two weight gainer shakes a day, but not with water, but with milk. 
for the extra calories. <laughs> Man, my, my, my daily caloric intake was at like 8,000, 9,000 calories, and it wow. was elevator upstairs, elevator downstairs, no stairs, no running. Yeah. And, and I was huge, I was strong, but it was not good. Uh, knees always hurt, elbows hurt, shoulders hurt. It was, it was rough. Uh, and then we looked at the orthopedic surgeon. He looked at the x-rays and the MRI. He's like, you're this close to needing a disc surgery tucking all the fluid back into the center of your disc. He said, you don't want that, you're young enough. I was 28 at the time. He said, you're young enough, you can fix it. And there's studies that show that it'll regenerate. So, right. Um, he said, stop lifting weights as heavy as you do. Maybe try running, try cycling, swimming. Uh, so I didn't do that. I just stopped lifting weights. And I, I didn't start running at all. And with uh, stopping the weight gainer, and, uh, changing the weight lifting to lightweight, I lost 20 pounds in like the first month without even trying, and that was kind of a, an eye-opening experience. It was like, all right, maybe I'm not supposed to be as big as I was, since obviously the weight just like melted away as soon as I stopped trying so hard to keep it on. Oh wow! And then uh, I got into mountain biking, and uh, that was fun. And then I, I, I always wondered. I didn't know anything about uh, endurance sports or anything like cycling or running, any of this stuff. I didn't know anything about it. So it was kind of confusing to me. I was like, man, I'm so much stronger than my friends. How come we go mountain biking? I'm just left in the dust and I suck. Um, it's cardiovascular fitness. I didn't have any. So as soon as it went downhill, it was fun. It was great. I was faster than everybody because I weighed still like 215, 220 pounds. Yeah. Um, and then I, at the urging of a friend, uh, Matt Lakes, he told me to get a road bike. Got to love it. Got a road bike. Hooked ever since. Almost never rode my mountain bike ever again after that. And then I started looking for uh, some races to do. I wanted to figure out what, what would be fun. And signed up for my first triathlon. It was a sprint triathlon. I think it was a pumpkin man. No, Las Vegas Tri. So I used Las Vegas Tri like 2011. Was that 31 or 2010 maybe? Um, that, was, that was a rough experience. I don't want yeah. anything. I wasn't prepared. I knew nothing about nutrition, nothing about hydration. Eating on the bike, drinking on the bike, and any of that stuff. Knew nothing about it. Didn't know anything about speed workouts, intervals, hill repeats, nothing. Uh, finished, it was fun. It was a learning experience. And then I, shortly after, did my first half marathon, which was the uh, rock and roll half that goes up and down the strip. That was fun. And somehow or another, it still remains to be one of my like top 10 times. Really? I don't know how I did it. I don't know if it was just flat or. Maybe I'm not as fast as I hoped I was, but still one of my, my fastest times, I think it's like 135. From oh, wow. Half. And uh, it's pretty cool. Nice. It was a fun experience, and then uh, it's all downhill from there. It's like, oh, now, come on. Now, like four road bikes later, I sold my mountain bike, and it's uh, it's been fun. It's Now it's like, see how much weight I can lose. I started out at almost 240, and now the lowest I got last summer I wasn't really watching what I was eating and drinking, and maybe I wasn't eating and drinking enough, but like one day I got home and I was like, I feel boozy. I stood up, I got all lightheaded. I happened to weigh myself. I was like, like a whopping 166. All right, maybe, maybe I've been not eating enough and yeah. maybe just overdoing it, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is possible too, you overdo it and go the other way, and then cyclists are known for having eating disorders anyway. So. <laughs> you know, once you get to the pros, all the pounds matter. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, guys, I mean, as uh, if you're watching and or you're you're listening in, 
if you haven't been able to catch this yet, James is kind of a badass. He's not going to say it himself. I'll say it for him. He just got back from doing the Boston Marathon. Um, as you can tell, he loves events. And he's also he also races for a team based in California. Yep, stage two cycling. Yeah. Marietta, California. Yeah, so he's um, he's rad. He's a rad guy. So if you're ever ever in Vegas and uh, you want to try to catch up with someone, definitely reach out with him and uh, keep off. But let's talk. I'm very curious into you were just you know talking about you know weight and you know your whole experience with. Uh, melting you know 20 pounds off very quickly and then you started doing all these different types of events multi-sports swimming cycling running um, and and you kind of um, lean towards losing weight right was that something that you saw in others or did you get that from a coach um, is it something you just started feeling naturally like you know how was that process for you you know it started out just I wasn't trying at all uh, to lose any weight. In the very beginning, it wasn't uh, a matter of losing weight. It was a matter of trying to have a healthier body and heal my lower back, uh, stop lifting heavy, putting strain on my body, and the weight took care of itself in the beginning. I wanted to get, the idea was to get faster. That was the problem. Was I go mountain biking and I was the last one at the top of the hill every time. sucks because when you do get to the top of the hill everyone else has already been resting so right back at it you don't get a rest and it just sucks so uh, the goal was to get faster and faster and start doing research on like the easiest ways and you know what helps to get faster it's you know a lot of uh, power to weight ratio you know if you have a lot of power but you're heavy you know it's it's not going to really benefit you a lot unless your power is just you know off the charts yeah uh, to counterbalance your weight and the easiest way to improve your power to weight ratio is just body weight loss if, uh, if that's possible you know once you get obviously once you get too skinny then you start to lose power so there's a fine balance and it's like a, a game of scales at that point um, but it, it wasn't the main goal in the beginning and uh, I learned a lot you know I started doing some group rides and everything and uh, I started you know seeing that you know how everyone else was doing you can see when you're in the pack like Who's big? Who's got the large muscle mass? And you already know what they're what they're going to excel at. You know, sprinting, flats, downhill. And you can look ahead on the road, and you can see the skinniest guy fly up the, the road, and he'll put you know minutes into the climb and open up a gap. Whereas on a sprint or a flat, you know, the biggest guy will be in seconds. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted to be faster on climbing and, uh, overall, and uh, and even since losing all the weight and all that stuff. Being fast put aside the health benefits. Um, you know, every year, you know, with the health insurance, where uh, my carrier is supposed to get your wellness check every year, they do your blood test and uh, your stress test and heart and all this stuff. And every year it comes back and you've got like outstanding numbers. The nurse practitioner is like, what do you do? Why is your, your resting heart rate? And she's like, you're almost dead. You know, and like my blood, my blood tests are uh, excellent. And, you know, you get benefits on your life insurance, benefits on your uh, health coverage at work. You know, now instead of having to pay 29 bucks per pay period, I only pay 19 because I get a $20 credit every time because uh, my results came back better. You feel better, you look better, your clothes fit better, your 
overall, yes. right? Yeah, it's, there's, there's nothing that can beat losing a little bit of weight. Almost everybody can afford to lose a couple pounds here or there. Uh, the mental the mental and emotional benefit of it far outweighs any uh, visual. And it, you know, you can look at someone and you know, say they're overweight or whatever, but the feeling you get inside from feeling good about yourself like healthier is, is way way better than being fast or uh, looking good. Totally. So it's it's good. Totally. Talk to me about the the Boston Marathon, oh. man. I mean, Boston Marathon. That's uh that's uh, fresh. Uh, and you just qualified for I next year. Qualified for next year. Yeah. So the goal. Well, first things first. Any any race organizers that are watching, if you want to learn how to organize a race, go to Boston. They they put on awesome event. Um, what it, what made it so it outstanding for you? Was leading up to the race, uh, all the communication, my email, everything they sent, uh, all the data, the, the what to expect, when you when you should expect an email, um, all the places you need to be, where you need to be, what time, when, what to expect when you get there, what you need to have with you, um, directions to the event, uh, everything, all everything leading up to was just customer on. service was yeah, just right it was, on. It was really, it wasn't like, it wasn't even like a race. It was like customer service. It was like I paid for, you know, a stay at a luxury hotel, where you know they're providing you with customer service. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, here's my hundred dollars yeah. or you know exactly. hundreds of dollars. It here where you pay your, you know, hundred. Here's your number. Yeah, it wasn't like. We'll that see at you all. at the starting line, um, and we'll play some music for you yeah. so you're getting pumped yeah. up. It wasn't like that at all. They, they, everything was so, so organized and so well put together. And it, it was a good experience. And then uh, getting to the city, like you know, I've been, I've done uh, over a dozen uh, triathlon, sprint, or Olympic distance. I've done couple dozen half marathons I've done five full marathons now uh, I've done you know a bunch of crit races and out of every race I've ever done whether it's a big small event big city small city I've done the Phoenix full marathon I've done LA marathon um, big cities big events lots of people it, it won't compare to Boston the as soon as I got in the city and you land off the plane the airport is decked out there's signs welcome runners welcome to the 2017 Boston marathon and, and everywhere you went, people knew. Even the, the flight attendants on the plane there, they knew, you know, what was going on. And you know, as soon as we landed, like, welcome to Boston, and good luck, you know, to all of you running the marathon. Wow. And, uh, there was a couple of people on the plane that were running, and uh, you could tell. You know, you know, you can tell when you're in public and you see like another cyclist or running. Yeah, yeah. Got, like the tan line across yeah. their quads or in their eyes. Yeah, yeah. They, they they got that look and. Uh, they were in tennis shoes to formal events, you know, those are, you can spot your runners. Um, you, you, you were feeling like an uh, Olympic athlete, yeah, right? Like yeah, you people feel, from all over the world yeah, probably do this you event. Feel, you, you feel know? really, really in included and really special and unique. And, uh, the, even the hotel, all the hotels, you know, in the city are completely booked, you know, as soon as registration opens in September, uh, everything is booked out. And so you get to the hotel and they're all expecting you. And our hotel in particular had... Uh, a check-in sheet specifically for the runners that outlined, outlined uh, special hours for breakfast that they're having. They're having breakfast earlier in the morning than they normally do to accommodate runners and their schedules. Uh, they provided transportation to downtown Boston where you had to catch the bus to the starting line. Uh, they include, even though they had checkout, they wouldn't allow a late checkout on race day. They did allow 
They had special rooms set aside for the runners that came back that had already checked out. They could shower and change. Because there's nothing worse than having to, like, check out and now you're just covered in sweat and salt and sodium and a mess and you got nowhere to go. Um, so, I mean, the whole city made accommodations and leading up to the expo and all that stuff. I was there Friday. I got there Friday afternoon and the race wasn't until Monday morning. So, I had the whole weekend and just walking around the city. Everyone, you know, you'd see someone else wearing a Boston hat or a Boston marathon t-shirt or tennis shoes or you could tell they were running and it was just like high fives everybody you know down the sidewalk everyone would always ask are you running people that weren't even running people that work at shops or restaurants bars right they'd all uh ask if you're running in the race and they'd say good luck and you know, congratulations on making it this far or, you know congratulations on qualifying and, uh, i've never experienced that anywhere else yeah even here it doesn't you know, happen here even happen for like total summerland bro tour- there's like people restaurants here that don't even know what's they going don't on even know what's going on local <laughs> events they don't even know our las vegas uh, the rock and roll marathon there's uh, like twenty five thousand to come for the half and like five to ten to come yeah. for the full and i work in the industry the hospitality industry and i know people are coming in and i know about the race because i participate in them but my co-workers don't know no one at the hotel knows I'll see people that are here for it, and you know, I'll, I'll talk to them about it, but no one else knows. Yeah. And this, there's th- thousands of people in the city for it, and no one knows about it, no one cares. But in Boston, everybody knew. Everyone knew what was going on, and it was just, it was awesome. The vibe, it was, it was just electrifying wherever you went. Uh, restaurants, gas stations, everywhere. It was the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you go to the expo, and uh, you, you, you see all the history, and you see all the... Uh, pomp and circumstance and it's it's not just a race and you know everything has changed obviously since the marathon bombing in 2013 but it's it's the world's longest running marathon 121 years in a row wow um, with the exception of world war ii it technically wasn't a, a, a race you know, they did something with the uh, they made it a relay race is what they did or something that year it was the only one that was a little bit different but it still held uh, it was just a little bit different than usual um and then, you know, you get your bib and you all this stuff, and it's just like, it's my most cherished bib. Like when I was packing to come home, like that was the thing I made sure was in my suitcase. I've since lost my heart rate monitor pod. I don't know where that is, but I know where the damn bib is. Yeah. Um, so that was the most important thing, and you know, the the medal you get. Um, it's inspiring. I'd only really wanted to do. Boston, that has been my goal. I did the LA Marathon in 2014. That was my very first one. I had zero intention of ever doing it. Um, but what happened is in November of 2013, I decided uh, I was tired and these were, uh, I just wanted a break from riding and running. And so I took some time off. And uh, then I, I decided I was gonna start back up in January. So it was like the first week of January, I started running and riding and stuff again. I was all over the place. I had no no direction for my training. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd ride this day, run this day. I'd do both on the same day, you know, two or three times. Well, I, I don't know what to do. I, I need to find something. Yeah. And I didn't want to do a triathlon. Just, I'm not a big fan of swimming. Just, I suck at it, so. Which probably means I need to do it more, of course. Um, but so I, I, I was like, well, let's, let's see what I can find. So I found the LA Marathon. That was about a proper amount of time. It was in March and it was January. I was like, that should be enough time. So I, I signed up. At that point, I had known nothing about the Boston Marathon. I knew nothing about the prestige and the, the uh, eliteness of it. Um, so I signed up and started training. And at that point, I had never done a run longer than 13.1. It was half marathon, stop the Garmin, walk. I never ran one step further than 
and then I started doing the training for this LA Marathon. And I remember the first couple times where I had a long run, it was like 14, 16 miles. And I was like, God, this, this better be worth it. The, the, I remember thinking to myself after, after my very first 20 mile run, I was like, man, the, the sense of achievement and accomplishment of completing a marathon really better be worth it because this sucks. Like 20 miles all alone, it was just boring. And it was just, it took me a couple days to get over that first one that first 20 mile long run. And then, uh, you know, I did the LA Marathon. As I was getting close to it, uh, someone had asked me if I was hoping to qualify for Boston at the LA Marathon. I had no idea what they meant. Um, I had no idea the Boston Marathon was as important as it was. I had no idea you had to qualify for it. I had no idea it was, you know, considered, you know, other than the Olympics, it's like right there, it's the next biggest running event yeah. you could do. Um, and the Olympics, you know, let's face it, no one's going to that unless, you know, if you're going to the Olympics, you already know you're going to the Olympics by the time you're like 12 years old. Um, so it, it was kind of cool. I was like, well, let me look into it. So I started doing some research and I was looking at the, the qualifying times and looking at my training times. I was like, well, maybe, maybe I could. I might be able to qualify for it. And LA was a Boston qualifier. The first one I did was uh, I finished and I, I failed. I missed big time. Qualifying at that point, I was 34. Uh, so qualifying would have been three hours and five minutes. I was three hours and 24. Wow. So it wasn't bad. Under four hours for the first one, you know, it was a respectable time. It wasn't bad, but uh, I was way off, way off of pace. I, I must, I don't know where I was thinking I, I could do it. Um, so I put my running shoes away and I rode my bike the rest of the year. And I, I, I thought about it and that's what I always do. Every year I do, I do a big running race and then I, I just ride my bike start back all over again once I get the running bug. So, um, so I did, uh, did LA, forgot all about it, ran, and I started riding my bike, and then I thought, started, started talking to somebody about it or something I wanted to do it again, and uh, give it another shot. So I did the uh, Mountains to Beaches Marathon, Boston Qualifier. Starts in Ojai, California, ends at Ventura Beach, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's a good one. A very scenic starts up in Ohio in the mountaintops. You come down like a really nice scenic like uh, trail, uh, and then you land, uh, come down by Santa Monica Pier and run alongside the beach, and you end right by the pier. Uh, it was great. Um, I did qualify. I did 308.20 or something like that. So I and I aged a year, so it was now 310 was my time. So I only had to beat 310. So I did 308.20. Thought I was set. Put the running shoes away again, started riding the bike. Uh, September came around, and then registration opened, and then I started learning about loopholes and little specific details about the Boston qualifying process. And uh, you need to have a little bit of buffer time uh, because what happens is after 2013, the popularity of the Boston Marathon has exploded, and so many people try to register, and so many people do qualify that you now have to have. A little bit of a faster time because what happens is once they open the registration it's open the first week to the elite runners right your Kenyans Ethiopians whatnot and then um, any Americans that might be fast that's that's pretty much who gets registered first and if you uh, beat your qualifying time by uh, I think like 10 minutes or more you get to register the first week if not you have to wait till week two and then there's fewer spots so I had to wait till week two and then when I went to go register, uh, you know, you apply for registration. It's not like any other race where you just click, pay, done, you're all set. You apply for registration. You don't get charged until you're accepted. So it's really, already at this point, you can already feel like it's a little bit different. You know, you've arrived somewhere a little bit more 
uh, prestigious and little. Yeah, it's like you're going to university, right? Exactly. You know, like me. Maybe I'm not good enough, you know? And so uh, you feel like you're being judged. Yeah. So I applied, and then you wait and wait and wait and wait. And I'm like, God, this is like, this is like waiting for like results from <laughs> the, the doctor's letter. Horrible, you know, I'm like, hey, man, am I going to get them? Checking my email every day. I'm like burning yeah. up data usage on my phone. Like I'm refreshing constantly. And uh, finally, I get the email back, and they, Boston Athletic Association is is cruel enough to send you a denial letter, and they include exactly how many seconds you missed by. 41. 41 seconds. That's like two steps per mile faster. That's all that would have been. And, and it was just, wow. that's how much I missed by. It says, uh, sorry to inform you, due to popularity and division, uh, we had to filter the time by even more, and... Uh, you were 41 seconds too slow. Try again. And so the whole process repeats itself, and I was, I was pissed off at that point because now uh, qualifying for that year was already over. You can't, uh, couldn't requalify for 2016. Uh, uh, qualifying races end like uh, August 31st or something like that. You have to have the race done before that. So it's too late. <clears throat> so I put away the running shoes again, started riding the bike again. And then. Uh, uh, made it all the way through the year, and then I was just kind of feeling mad. I was upset that I didn't get in, and I tried, and I worked my butt off trying to, you know, I shaped, what was it, uh, 17, 16, 17 minutes off my previous time in one year of uh, training for the marathon. So I was like, that oh, was pretty good. That's a pretty significant amount of time to shave off. So um, I, I decided to try again. So I found another race, another BQ, and I did it, uh, it was Phoenix. Phoenix Marathon. Now, at this point, from the first time, I, I think I had lost like 10 pounds. I was going in, weighing, like starting the training, I was like 175, 176 at the start of training. Wow. And uh, I was already thinner, lighter. I could just feel it already. Um, so I started training for Phoenix, and pretty much immediately into training, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be much faster this time. Uh, my new aspiration was sub three hour time. I thought I could do it, I was really close. Uh, I felt like my training times were representative of it. My diet was pretty spot on. I'd been losing even more weight. I hit like race weight uh, a few weeks before the race. I was down right around like 168, 169. I was feeling pretty light, pretty good. Uh, the race, I, I feel had the finish line been set up, a little bit differently, I think I could have made it. Uh, my issue always with the marathons is I always end up with cramping right around uh, mile 23, 24. Hmm. Um, they say it start, the race starts at mile 20. It really does. That's when everything starts falling apart. You start feeling tired. and um, Every every marathon I've done, cramping 23, 24. Phoenix was no different. Started cramping 23, 24. Slowed me down for a little bit to uh, actually slowed me to a stop. Or I had to cramp. Uh, I had to cramp on my hamstrings. I had to stretch it out for maybe 20, 30 seconds, and I was able to work my way back up to a slow jog, and then that let up. Do you start feeling that cramp kind of ramping up? Oh yeah. Uh, as, as soon as you start looking at the time, you kind of. Uh, just... I, I look at the time. Do you think you trigger the cramp? <sighs> I look at the time and I feel like there's some mentality to it. There is. I feel like there is. I, I, I know, I don't even have to look at the time because you're, you're running along and you right, see the mile knows. markers. You yeah. see them, I'm like, oh, mile 20. Oh, shit. There it comes. 21, 22, still feeling all right. 23. And then you mentally check in. You're like, you, it's funny how you can direct your, your thoughts and you 
you can like mentally connect to like your calves, your your glutes, your hamstrings. What you can mentally connect, and you can do a, totally. an evaluation and check. And I I'll mentally check, and I like I'll think down to my hamstrings. I'm like, yeah, I could feel a little little twitch in there somewhere, but something might happen. And then like I try to ignore, and I try to like focus on maybe changing up my stride or slowing down or doing something and maybe I'm making it worse if I had ignored it and just kept plodding along at what I was doing maybe it wouldn't happen um, have you talked to your crabs no 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 I've talked to myself it usually involves a lot of foul language yeah and uh, a lot of just what do you say like what are you what are you saying um, like a lot of times like fuck not again right that's, that's what it is and like come on come on I can do it you know just you know, I was like, come on, come on, come on. Just like you, it's almost like you're just wishing and praying at this point, and it's just like you're. It's like hopeless begging of your body. Is really what it is. You just whether you have, whether you believe in God or a higher power, or whatever it is. It's it may not even involve them. For me, it's me begging my body. Uh, please don't do it. Please don't cramp. Please don't just fall apart. Come on, just hold it together come on we're almost there and it's just and you're, you're talking to yourself and you're just thinking ah fuck here it comes and then there it is and then it, it cramps and if you, you you're talking to yourself and it's just a moment of despair when you when you cramp and you, you feel like in the seconds are ticking by and depending on the race where you're at how many people are there and who's all showed up in their fitness you stop for a second and you get passed by five ten people twenty people in that few seconds and you're like oh my god they're not cramping and then it's just snowballing snowballing and it's just like oh my god all these people are passing me my time is my pace is coming down you know i'm gonna already have this cramping so i know even once the cramp goes away i'm not gonna be able to get back up to the speed i was at um it's it's a mentally tough situation when you have cramping that late in the race and and you've already come that far, come that far. So you know, well, I'm, I'm going now, even if I gotta walk. I mean, I guess I could walk it in at a 15-minute pace and I finish. But you know, you, you pull your shit together and you get going, and eventually the cramp lets up. Yeah. Um, but I, I approach the finish of Phoenix, and I'm looking down at it. I worked out the cramps, and now I'm kind of shuffling along, barely at like uh, 7:30, 7:30 pace, 7:45. And uh, the finish line, you, you come up to it, you can't see the end, you can't see the, the finish line banner and the clock and the shoot or anything like that. And, uh, you go through a bunch of chicanes and turns and like uh, like side streets and stuff. And then I'm looking at my Garmin and I'm like, I had I had turned on auto pause prior to because I always have it on and I forgot. So then when I paused to work out the cramping, my time stopped. So I, like I have an inaccurate race time. I have a, an activity time. But I have to calculate that I stopped a little bit from cramping, so like I had no idea exactly what my chip time was. And so I'm looking and I'm like, I'm almost at three hours flat on my Garmin. And I'm like, how much time did I have to pause for? How slow did I get? Like, I'm, I'm worried that I'm not gonna make this three hour goal that I had set for myself. Um, and so then I make it through the last turn and finally now I can see the race clock. And the race clock had just ticked to like 2.59, like 50. And I remember in my head at that point, I just went, Fuck. There's no way I'm gonna close this last hundred and some odd meters in ten seconds. And ended up finishing three hours and twenty seconds. Jeez. So I was just twenty-one seconds out of my goal, 
Yeah, still it was you know eight minute PR, which is outstanding. It was excellent by anyone that you know sets goals for themselves, no matter how lofty they are, how easy they are to achieve. If you miss them, you're pissed, and that's you know that that's how you should be. If, you know, if you set goals for yourself, you, if you miss it, you should be upset with yourself uh, because you know you want to do your best, you want to try hard, you want to give it your all. And, and then I meant you know I think back to the, the cramping, I think back to. Was I eating enough? Was I drinking enough? You start evaluating everything, yeah. and I couldn't even really enjoy that moment. You know, I I PR'd, and my wife was there, and uh, my mother-in-law was there, and they were happy for me, and I was I was upset, and you know, it was it was all right, you know, it was it was good. Um, What's your nutrition like during this period of racing? Uh, you know, I, I've started to rethink that. I'll touch on that. We'll, we'll get to okay. this last race. I'm starting to rethink maybe what I do. Um, so that, that was that race, Phoenix. But I, I did qualify. And why, why I wanted to have under three is because then it puts me 10 minutes ahead of my new BQ time, which right. is 310. Get to register week one. Remember the loopholes I previously discussed. So that's why, you know, there was still a chance that I wouldn't make it in, but I had done research. And generally, uh, right now, the 2017 buffer time was like two hour, or two minutes and like nine seconds, I think. So if you're looking to qualify for Boston 2018, you got to beat your time by roughly two minutes. Uh, otherwise, you're probably going to get filtered out like I did in 2016. Um, so I did the Boston race. Did Boston, got there really early. Uh, Friday, Friday morning, we left here in Las Vegas in uh, Pacific time, like 4 a.m. Uh, now, at this point, food is different. Breakfast, lunch, dinner is all different. How much I'm able to drink because you can't bring water on, you know, bottles into the airport. You got to toss them out and then go buy a new one. Uh, get to Boston, get to the hotel, check in. Dinner's obviously different. Nighttime hydration's different. Saturday, everything's different. Walking around, excited. Checking out the expo, checking out the city. Sunday, repeat. Everything's the same. So, I, like, I tried to enjoy it because, you know, my wife was there, my family was there. I didn't want to just be a bump on the log and sit in the room the whole time. Like, you know, I didn't want to be like that annoying person. They're like, we can't do anything. I must lay down and watch yeah. TV all day and eat food. So I didn't even think about it, but I was already kind of shooting myself in the foot the, the days leading up to the race. But I didn't care because it was awesome. The city, the experience, everything. It was, I was taking it all in. And in my head at this point, I'd only wanted to get to Boston and do Boston one time. That was the, the, the goal behind my marathon running, okay. was to do this race, because obviously I'm not making it to the Olympics ever. So I wanted to do you know, the next best thing. Um, so I, I didn't really care if, I, I cared, but I didn't, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's tough to explain. Um, so race morning, get to, get to the starting line. And uh, it's something else, you know, you, you, we had to wake up at three. I had to wake up at 3 or something like that, and um, everyone has to be bossed out to Hopkinton. Organization, man. They, they have their shit together. Uh, I get dropped off in Boston Common, downtown Boston. Everyone's on the bus. It's the smooth, smooth loading. Security is tight. They're checking everyone's bib multiple times to make sure everyone that is passing a certain checkpoint is a, is a participant. Uh, they're checking your bag. Everyone is given a gear bag to bring to the starting line. Anything you have in that bag, you are not getting back. It is not being transported back to the finish line. Organization, they are spot on. They are good. Um, get on the bus. Cool. Everyone's friendly. Everyone's in good spirits. Everyone's really friendly. Uh, it's fun. Get to the starting line. Everyone coming off the bus, they're checking your bibs again. 
wow, I don't know how they would have got on the bus while we're traveling on the freeway, yeah. but they're checking the bibs again. Really cool. You get into the athlete's village. Anything you could want was there. They had bagels, they had fruit, they had bananas, Gatorade, water, uh, goose, gels, uh, porta pies as far as the eye could see. Uh, they had tents if you wanted to uh, sit in the shade. They, you had an area out in the sun if you wanted to sit in the sun. Uh, it was great. Uh, it was really cool to see that many athletes and 30,000 participants in one spot. I've never seen anything like it. And then um, I was trying to just relax. I brought my breakfast with me in my bag they provided because, you know, you're not really sure what you're going to get there, if it's going to be different, if it's going to agree with you. The last thing you want to do is have some gastrointestinal distress, you know, two miles in and be like, oh, no. So I brought my own breakfast, and I, that was different this time, too. This go-around is I knew that you had to be busted at the starting line. I knew you were going to have to wake up way before, so I was going to have to bring my own breakfast. So normally my breakfast is at home. Uh, quarter, uh, half cup of oatmeal, quarter cup of ground flax seed, dried cranberries and a sliced up banana in that, and a uh, hard boiled egg. That's usually what my breakfast is every day for years, um, regardless of what I'm doing. Yeah. Training, running, not running, cycling, whatever I'm doing, that's the same breakfast. I'm very, very dull and boring uh, like that. Um, but this one, obviously I can't bring oatmeal. I'm not gonna like cook oatmeal and then bring like this cold gruel. So I started looking into finding something else that's different in transports. And plus, and maybe I, given the cramping issue that we discussed earlier, I was afraid that maybe uh, I wasn't getting enough carbs in my oatmeal. And so uh, I changed it up this time. Started doing some bagel. Uh, I was doing a whole bagel, peanut butter, banana. What kind of bagel? Uh, I was just getting to my Costco, like the big ass. But like an everything bagel, no, an onion bagel? Plain, plain, plain bagel, bagel or cinnamon raisin. Okay. Uh, and I put peanut butter. Honey roasted peanut butter. You go to Whole Foods, plug for Whole Foods. They got the, the honey roasted peanuts where you just push the button and grind them. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. It's awesome. I can seriously eat it with a spoon just like as a meal. It's the best thing ever. And like, I start, I had to start checking myself because I was like putting way too much on there. <laughs> it was like, it's like I had three tablespoons. Yeah. And it was like a peanut butter sandwich. It was like this thing. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I gotta start taking it easy. Um, so I, start, I tr started with that on, during this training for the Boston Marathon, and uh, I ran into an issue in the beginning. I think it was too much. I was having Greek yogurt, um, Faye Greek yogurt with a little fruit, little thing that you flip in there, uh, a banana, and this bagel with peanut butter. I think it was too many calories or too many carbs or too much, too much, too soon to my activity. Because normally breakfast, I eat, and within 20 or 30 minutes, I'm out the door running. Yeah. And that's my normal breakfast with the oatmeal and everything. I started doing that with the, the bagel and all this stuff. I'd hit the door, start running. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm not going to make it. And I'd get GI issues, and I'd have to go back home, and I'd end up being sick all day. Uh, it just wasn't good. So I, I started trying to figure out maybe maybe I got to work my way up to this. So I started doing half bagel, half bagel and peanut butter um, the next couple times. And uh, every once in a, it wasn't all the time. Every once in a while, I'd still get a little of the, the bubble guts. I'm like, let me let me try to work work on this a little little bit more. And I'm not even doing long runs yet. I'm maybe doing seven to ten mile runs, and I'm I'm still getting this issue. So I uh, mixed it up and put. Uh, some jelly jam 
instead of peanut butter. I was like, maybe it's a little bit lighter, a little bit uh, easier to digest, and it's not gonna be as rough. That seemed to work. So I don't know if it was the jelly or if maybe my body was now starting to get used to, you know, uh, handling this big brick of bagel in my stomach. Um, so it started to get better. So I started to work in that other half of the bagel. So I started doing the whole bagel with jelly. And I started doing half jelly, half peanut butter. And then eventually I worked my way up to a whole peanut butter bagel, Greek yogurt, banana. No how problem. long did it take? Uh, how many sessions do you think it took? Uh, from... From the first week where I found out the, bag, the whole bag, the whole shebang was making yeah. me sick, uh, it probably took five five runs a week. At five runs a week, it probably took me three weeks to figure, either adjust it, uh, either get my body adjusted to handling it or to fine tune it and bring it along gradually. Uh, and now it's now it's fine. Now it, the whole bagel is fine. I can eat it and it, I don't have any issues. Uh, but that was the planning that took place for the, the pre-race meal. That was what led up to you know the Boston uh, experience. So at the starting line, you know I'd already, I brought that with me, and it, was, it travels well, it was easy. I brought my own bagel with me in my suitcase. I brought the Greek yogurt in my carry on, uh, yeah. carry on because it's only three ounces, so it fit. Uh, got there and uh, ate all my breakfast. Starting line, they, they say wave one, make it to you know make your way to the starting line. And I was like, all right, cool. So, you know, so you start going through. And you think to yourself, this is the exact same course, the exact same thing for the last hundred some odd years. So you're walking, you have to walk half mile to the starting line, and you're walking through and you're passing all these houses that have been there for 50, 60 years, some of them longer, 100 years. And these people are outside in their pajamas, uh, drinking coffee, eating breakfast, just finishing up. And they're just, you know, hey, good morning, you know, wishing everyone a good race and good luck. And, congratulating everyone for making it there. I'm like, how cool is this? You know, every year they get a parade yeah. of 30,000 runners by their house. Like the every fittest year. people on earth, bro. Yeah, I was like, this is the coolest thing. They get to see all of this every year and it's fun. Some guys were out there drinking beer already at uh, 9 a.m. They're like, hey, you guys wanna have a sip? You know, they're trying to pass out beer and no one's taking it, of course. And, but it, I mean, it's good spirits. It's kind of a blast and it's really cool. And you get to the starting line and they sing the national anthem. Man, you could have heard a pin drop. It was it was like the most solemn and respectful uh, performance of the national anthem I've ever heard. Um, everyone had their sunglasses off, their hats off. Everyone was standing at attention. There was no there was no funny business. No one was still sitting on the ground stretching because you see that at some races. People don't respect the national anthem. They they keep their sunglasses or their hat on. They're still talking. They're not paying attention. Everybody was paying attention. Everyone was at you know their uh, most uh, solemn and respectful uh, state. And then uh, it was timed perfectly. The last last words of the National Anthem, two fighter jets buzzed the crowd, come overhead. And I'll never forget, it was the funniest, it was like the perfect amount of uh, hilarity at the moment. As soon as the jets went by, some, some guy behind me yelled out, America! <laughs> And everybody, like, it always been, like, you could tell people were probably on the verge of tears because of the, the, the moment. It was great. Everyone just started laughing, and it was, it was a real nice icebreaker, and everyone was probably already on edge, and it was, it was fun. And uh, at that moment, the Jets went by, I, looked, I remember looking around, and something caught my eye, and I was next to this old old bank, the Hop like a Hopkinson something Federal Credit Union. And I look up, and there's a sniper and his spotter on the roof. And at this point now, that got my attention. I was like, oh. So I started looking around at all the roofs, every rooftop, sniper wow. sni sniper, and a spotter. And I was just, 
it blew my mind. I was like, this is all because of 2013. Yeah. All because of the bombing, like all the changes. So then I was like, holy crap. So I started looking around elsewhere. Everywhere I look, I mean, within, you know, a couple of degrees of turning, I could see a Boston PD, FBI, National Guard, a Marine, an armed, armed somebody. Every 15, you know, every, you know, couple seconds or degrees of turn, I, I'd look around, I'd see someone. They had video cameras and uh, still cameras. And they were taking pictures of the crowd. They were filming the, the crowd, the spectators, the uh, participants, everything. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and sad at the same time that, you know, things have gotten to this point where it requires this type of security. Um, and then when the race starts, I've been to you know, dozens of races, you know, at this point, and you always get spectators at the beginning, then nothing until the finish. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's usually most races. Uh, as soon as I worked my way up to the starting line, because, you know, you just way starts, so as soon as I got up there, it was spectators along the rail, 10, 15 people deep at the rail as far as I could see, all the way down the road. I couldn't see, I couldn't even see where spectators had um, and it was just, it was like, holy crap, this is, this is awesome. And, uh, they said, you know, I crossed the starting line and by mile two, by mile two, I knew in my head, I had made a huge error in my days leading up to this moment. What was it? It was, it, I, I just felt dehydrated. I felt slow. My legs didn't, it just was not there. And I was already in my head, just kicking myself in the ass. I'm like, too much walking, too much sightseeing, not enough calories, not enough fluid. It was, I could tell. And going back and looking at my splits, I was I was probably about 15 to 20 seconds off pace already. I was at like 640, 645. I was like, I should have been easily under six. 35, 630 at that point in the first couple miles. Downhill, easily should have been under 630 without even trying. I'm like, oh no. But back to the experience. Um, Boston, most races have aid stations every two, two and a half miles, and that's kind of how they set it up. Boston, every mile. Every mile, Gatorade and water every mile. Not just water, not just Gatorade. Whatever option you wanted. Um, You never had to wait for it. If I wanted aid, if I needed water, if I wanted anything, I never once would have had to wait for an aid station. Anytime I wanted to, I could run to the side of the road and there was a kid with a bottle of water, a bottle of Gatorade, there was a a person, an old lady, a a man, a woman, a family handing out bottles of water, Dixie cups of water, orange slices, bananas, kids with posters, women with posters, men with posters. Everyone's cheering on. There was a spectator. There was never a moment that there was not a spectator. It was just awesome. I remember just seeing people with like they they were having barbecues. They had brought their couches out to the end of their driveways. You're passing. It's like a parade. These people have lived on this route for a hundred. You know, yeah. these houses have been there for a hundred years. They know every year. Patriots Day in Boston, Massachusetts. There's going to be thirty thousand people running by my house. And they're out there. Every single house had the uh, occupants were outside. It was the coolest thing. I never had to wait for an aid station. All the aid stations were there. This race, I started cramping at mile seven. I went back and looked at my splits. 
And I was all, I looked at my watch. I didn't even have to go back and look at my splits. I looked at my watch. I was already struggling at a seven minute pace. Wow. I was like, oh no. I should, I should easily be in the 630s and under. And um, I was like, oh no. Oh no, no. It wasn't full on cramp, but I could feel mentally connected to my hamstrings. And uh, I could feel like they were, they were something was going to happen. So I continued it along. It must have been right around mile 14, the first cramp happened. It was right after the Wellesley Scream Tunnel. I read about it. I heard about it. The Wellesley Scream Tunnel is the Wellesley College, Women's College. It's at the halfway point. It's known for being the loudest cheering section on the course. And it lived up to its fame. They say you can hear it from a mile out, and they are right. Get out of here. Dude, you could, I could hear women screaming from a roar. mile away. It was like the loudest. It was it was so awesome. And you, you start running up, and you can see all of a sudden. It was funny. It's like ahead of me, I could see the women runners go off to the left, and all the men go off to the right because the women's college is on the right. So all the men runners went to the right. And all the dudes were getting high fives from all the girls. The girls all, all wearing low cut tops or bikinis and they're all cheering. They all got posters and they're they're giving out kisses and hugs and high fives and some guys are going through and kissing and hugging. And I, I remember seeing They're like, forget my splits. <laughs> it, it was the funniest thing. Because it was the women who like wanted no part of it except for one. This was the coolest the coolest thing. It, was, it blew my mind. There was a girl holding a sign that I hey I kiss women runners too. And a woman went up and kissed her. I was like, nice. no shit. <laughs> All right, we're progressive. We're progressive out here. I like it. Uh, it was really cool. And uh, it, it lived up to its hype. So I'm glad that that did that, that, that. And it definitely lifted my spirits because right after that, hamstring cramp, uh, it did slow me down to stretch it out. It didn't take very long. Stretch, it, it let up in a couple seconds. And I was back to shuffling. Shuffling along at like eight, eight pace. It was pretty slow. Um, from that moment on, it was it was just kind of fighting off cramps. I felt heavy, felt slow, felt dehydrated. At this point, I'm tr- it's it's like trying to bail water out of a rowboat with a, a Dixie cup. Like I'm trying to take as much water in, Gatorade as I, in as I can, but it's too late. Um, the dehydration, it's hot too. It was hotter. It was 70 at the start. By the by the time I hit like mile 15, 16, it was approaching like 80. Um, mm. And so I'm trying to take in all this water, Gatorade. It's too late now. Um, all that, all that I'm really going to do is end up getting myself sick because I'm gonna have it all slushing around in my stomach, and it's not gonna go anywhere. It's, it's too late for me. Um, I was at mile mile 19 or 20. I had a really bad cramp. I had to slow down and uh, really work it out. I had to probably stop and stand there for almost a minute. Um, I got going. I got going again. I started to hit the first of the three Newton Hills. Um, and I, at this point, I was like, all right, well, I want to quit. I really want to quit. And they make it easy. They, Boston Athletic Association makes it really easy to quit. They have aid station every stop. You can stop whenever you want, hop into the tent, and they give you a ride back. It is that easy. So easy. Like... If you want to quit, you can just quit. They, 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 it's like they're just begging you to. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And at this point, I'm this far in the race. I'm already seeing people. Uh, I was going, coming up the second of the hit, uh, two, second of the three Newton Hills. 
and running towards me with a gurney were medical uh, EMTs going downhill to someone that's behind me. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like, all right, well, I thought, I, like, I still have a good sense of humor. I thought about telling them, hey, come this way, because I'm yeah. ahead, you're going to find me. Um, but I kept plugging away, and people are passing out. People are getting wobbly legs, and people are helping other people at this point. Like, God damn, we're not even to the last mile. And people are just falling by the wayside, and uh, and people, spectators can see I'm struggling, and they're cheering me on. They're trying to, you know, get me motivated. I'm plugging away. I'm almost like 24, 25 now, and my usual cramping at this point is out of the, off the charts. It sucks. I'm just miserable, and I know I'm going to finish. And what's made me decide I'm going to finish is my parents. It's the first race they've ever come to. They live here in Las Vegas. Oh wow! They never come to the races. They're like, eh, whatever. It's over. We're going to sit there for hours, and it's boring. This is the first race they've ever come to. My wife is there. My whole family knows about it. All my friends, all my training partners, everybody knows that I'm there. I'm like, I can't quit. As bad as I wanted to, my legs were killing me. My joints were killing me. Everything that everything that requires liquid is killing me. It just it sucks. And I wanted to quit so bad, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't just to have to like tell my parents in like 30 minutes if I saw them at the finish line because I got a ride back. It would be so humiliating and I just plugged away and just kept going and going and going and I was like even if I have to walk and I finish in five and a half hours I'm gonna keep going um, and the, the the part that's gonna stick with me forever is the last two turns it's you know it's called right on Hereford left on Boylston it's your last two turns Hereford is just you know like a hundred meters long and then you make your left and you're on the home stretch <clears throat> well Hereford they sometimes call it Mount Hereford because as soon as you turn right to go up it it's a gradual hill, but at this point, it might as well be a mountain. I make the right-hand turn, and as soon as the elevation kicks up, both hamstrings cramp. I come to a dead stop. And at this point, on this yeah. little street, the rails are up, and it's like 30 people deep all along on this thing. And it's just so packed with people. I couldn't believe it. And um, I stopped to get the cramps out, and people are just screaming at me. Like, they're angry. They're screaming, I mean, they're trying to motivate me, of course, but they're screaming at me with such drive and determination to get me back going. Like, they sound like they're mad. They sound like they're gonna come over the rails no way. and like carry me themselves. They're That's just, amazing. It is just like, like, holy shit, all right, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> I'm trying here, Jesus Christ, can't you see I'm cramped? And I'm like, so I finally get the cramps out, and I'm, it's not, I can't even call what I start to do a run because it's not even a run. It's like, I'm going like, like a zombie. Like I'm trying to like get my legs, and my knees won't bend because like they're just locked. And I'm, I'm trying, but as soon as I get my way up to a shuffle, and it looks like I'm running, you would have thought I scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. That whole crowd just erupted. And I thought maybe it was because somebody like really cool was coming behind, <laughs> behind me. I'm the only one right there. I'm like, holy shit, this is for me. I was like, I can't believe it. And I, you know, I give him a, a, you know, a little, a little fist bump in there, a little fist pump, and um, I make that left hand turn. And at this point, it was just I was I was fighting off the cramping because the last thing I wanted to do was walk again on the final stretch. And I'm fighting off the cramping, and I'm trying to like. My wife had made a video of it, and I went back and looked, and I was like, yeah, I did not look good. 
Wow. But I see all the flags of all the nations and hundreds of thousands of people lining the street. And I see, you know, the sites where the, the, the two bombs had gone off four years prior. And it was just, I'm fighting back tears of joy, tears of pain, tears of just uh, like humiliation. I was humbled. I was humbled at this point. I, I felt like I was going to have an awesome race, you know, during my training leading up to this. And it was just, it kicked my ass. And it was, it was tough, and it was just, I felt so proud of myself for being able to finish. And once I got to the end, it was just like, thank God it is over. And it took, it took a couple of, took a couple days for all of it to settle in. And, and then I decided, I, I was like, it might be something I want to do again. And Boston itself is a qualifier, but obviously my race for myself, I did not perform the way I wanted, so I would have had to do another one. But after the race, Everyone congratulating you, strangers, volunteers, anyone in sight was patting you on the back, hugging you, high-fiving you, saying congratulations, offering you a ride. I swear to God, if one more person would offer me a wheelchair ride, uh, I was going to take it. I, I, I don't know what I looked like, but I must have looked bad. Cause <laughs> you, wanna, you need to sit. I'm like, I'm okay. <laughs> but it, I felt like maybe I should have taken it because I didn't know what I looked like at that point. Um, and I, I get to the family reunion area, and I'm waiting for my family. I'm just, I was laying starfish pose on the sidewalk on my back, just laying there, taking up the, the whole sidewalk. I didn't care. I, uh, it was a mess. I'd taken off my sunglasses, my hat, or my, my bandana and everything. I was just laying there, just taking it all in. I remember staring up at the skyscraper above me. It was just sunny day. It was beautiful. It was great. And then uh, my parents and my wife get there, and you know they're they're excited, they're happy, and you know they had tears in their eyes, except for my dad. Anyone that knows my dad, he doesn't have tears in his eyes ever. Um, he's very he's a very hard man. Um, so we uh, get to the start, get going, and we're like gotta take the subway back. And this is this is something that's really cool. Um, subway's packed, it's crowded, people trying to get through the turnstiles. Boston PD, National Guard, everyone's there. Boston PD points at me, he's like, you ran? I was like, yeah, he's like, right this way. Pulls me up to the front, runners are free today, swipes me through, I don't nice. have to pay for the subway. So how cool is that, you know? They're just recognizing everyone that's, you know, accomplished this and I get through and get on the subway and it's packed, the subway's packed. Everyone that's a spectator or everyone that's riding the subway, they all stand up and they offer me their seat. They're offering everyone that's get sitting. Everyone that's sitting is offering a runner that gets on their seat so the runner can sit on the subway wow. and not have to stand. And I was like, how cool is that? It they just the, make it about you. Yeah, man. the whole. It's all about seat, you. It was just it was the coolest thing. Like, and I think like any any race I've ever done in any other city, it's not like that. Yeah. You don't get that support. You don't get that recognition. It was like the coolest thing. I was like, I might as well be an Olympic athlete. <laughs> like it was the coolest thing. Um, so yeah, I was like, thank you so much. I sat down and I was just like, ah. And um, by the time we got back to the hotel, uh, when we got off, I was, uh, I was getting off the subway. And, uh, things had not gone, things had not gone well. Like, I got off the subway and I told my family, I was like, hey, we gotta, we gotta sit. Um, I got really lightheaded. I could hear the woo, woo, woo. And it felt like I was going to pass out. And, uh, we got off the subway and I immediately just sat on the ground. I'm just sitting. I was like, I got I to gotta hang on here. I feel really woozy. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to faint, pass out. I need a water. So I sat there for a few minutes and um, it went away. 
got, got things back together and then we uh, made our way back to the room and then a couple days went by and the pain went away and all the, the soreness. I was hobbling. I looked really bad. I was walking like a 90 year old man for days. And then uh, I, I eventually we did sightseeing, came back home and um, I had a friend, Josh. Uh, he injured himself. He was going to do the Revel Mount Charles and, and he asked me if I wanted to transfer the bib to my name because he had hurt his heel and he wasn't going to run. He wanted to know if I wanted to take his spot qualify for Boston 2018 since I hadn't done it the previous week at Boston. And uh, given that experience, I thought about it and I was like, well, let me go this afternoon and try and put together a run and see if I can even make it through. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even tried to run. Let me see if I can get, get my shit together and make it. So I uh, went for a jog that afternoon after work and I texted him back. I was like, yeah, I'll take your spot. So that week, so that was Sunday. The race was Saturday. Boston was Monday before that. I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. And I was telling my wife the, day, the days leading up to it, I was like, I'm mentally, mentally I'm not in it. And I would read somewhere, I'd read a quote from a, a, pre, a, a famous marathoner. I forget who it was. But it said, uh, before running your next marathon, give yourself enough time to completely forget about the last marathon. And it makes sense, because as it was leading up to Revel, I'm like, all I could think about was how much pain I had been in during Boston and after Boston, and how much it sucked and how miserable I was and how hard it was. And mentally, it, I just wasn't feeling it. Physically, I wasn't. My, my right hip had been hurting. My, my knees were still sore from Boston. And I ran on Wednesday and Thursday. Well, no, I ran Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I took Thursday off. And I'd only done like three miles and then five miles. I took Thursday off. And then I, I did like a two mile jog on Friday. And then I remember going, getting bussed to the top of Revel. And Revel, they put on a good race also, by the way. Revel, Mount Charleston was a well-organized event. Uh, the busing and everything, there was a lot of communication. They did a, an excellent job as well. Uh, I got to the, the starting line. I still had my phone with me because they give you a gear check bag. So I brought my phone with because I wanted to kill some time. So I remember texting my wife and I, was, I told her, I was like, you know, and I didn't tell anyone other than Josh, who I took the bid from, and my wife. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. Okay. And uh, because the, the idea was, I told my wife and I told my friend Josh, I was like, hey, you know, kind of keep it quiet because I might quit. I was like, if, if, if I'm into it, it might No be. one's going to know. I was like, no one's going to know. And I was like, I've never not finished a race, ever. Yeah. I've never not finished a race. And I was like, if my knee or if my knees or my hips or something starts hurting where I feel like I'm going to do irreparable damage, I'll quit. I just don't want to have to face up, face the world later, having everyone know that I quit. So um, I, uh, I was texting my wife. I was like, you know, I'm sitting here in the lodge waiting to start. And I just, I don't mentally feel it. I just, I think I'm depressed about my boss and performance. I think I feel physically tired. I've had some really tough runs this week. I've gained seven pounds since Boston. Here we're gonna get into the nutrition too. I was like, I gained seven pounds. I feel I'm like 177 pounds at the start of this race. Normally I get 168 to 169. I'm like, ugh, I don't know. I feel slow. The couple of runs I did, it was like it was hard to get up to speed. And then I was like. Four or five minutes into it, I look down at my watch, I look at my pace, look around at everybody, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is gonna be good. 
I felt it. As soon as we started going, I was like, I did a quick, quick mental check. Yeah. Head to toe, I'm like, this is gonna be it. This is gonna be good. You just knew it. I, I, was like, I just felt good, I felt fast. I felt like, all right, this is the time. I, I kept doing little checks every, every few miles. I was like mile three, mile four, somewhere in there. Looked down on my pace, I'm like, dude, we're, we're going like six minute pace. And I'm like looking around and we're talking. Me and the people next to me, we're chit-chatting. I'm like, no shit, we're cruising. All right, mile eight, mile nine. I'm like, still 604 pace. I remember, 604. I was like, we're, we're, we're cooking. Mile 10 and 11, did a little mental check. My hips and my knees started to feel a little sore. At this point, I had to make a decision. I was like, well, I can back it off, but it's still not gonna get better. Hip, hips and knee joint issues aren't going to magically get better as time progresses in a 26 mile run. It's just gonna get worse. So if I back it off and try to save something, it's just gonna start taking away time. And then if it ultimately falls apart at 20, 21 miles in, I'm not gonna have that time. So I decided I'm just gonna drop the hammer and put as much time into the bank as I can. Um, so I just kept charging along as fast as I could go. Um, at mile 21, I was at a 6.10 pace. Wow. I was like, holy shit. I am way, way, way ahead of pace. Had I been able to keep that, it would have been like a 2.38, a 2.39 Jeez. marathon. I was like, holy shit. But at mile 21, the hips and the knees started to hurt. I slowed down to like uh, 6.35, 6.40 pace. But all right, this is still good. I'm still good. And uh, mile 23, 24, I slowed down to like a 650, 655. I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm still going to be under three at this point. I, at that point, like I've never been <clears throat> that far ahead where I didn't even care anymore. I was like, this is, this is fine. Whatever. I'm tired. I can start slowing down. I really just didn't even give a shit. Um, I was at mile 25. And I, I looked down. I was like... Eh, 7.20 pace, 7.30 pace, no big deal, I didn't even care, I had enough time in the bank where it was, I was still finishing under three, it was going to be a PR, I was going to boss and qualify, and I was at mile of 25 and a half, and I looked down, I'm like, 25 and a half, I didn't cramp, not one cramp, this whole time, I was like, what was different, this whole time I sat down, I was like, not one cramp, not one issue, nothing cross the finish line and yeah i was sore i was tired i was like all right i'm done i'm ready to go home and lay around the rest of the day and i'm sitting there going through like this last week and because i hadn't planned on racing i hadn't planned on doing revel after boston was over we were in boston eating lobster roll clam chowder all the food everything i wanted came back home i wasn't planning on racing again i was eating chips and salsa, chips and like avocado and spinach dip from Costco. I was eating bags of Doritos. Uh, I bought a goddamn lemon curd cheesecake from Costco and my wife didn't have any of it. It took me a week, I ate the whole thing. <laughs> a week, I ate the giant Costco cheesecake by myself, single, and I didn't even slice it. Dude, those are plates. huge, man. Yeah. I didn't even slice it and put it on plates. I took the whole thing to the couch and I ate it until I felt like I had had enough. And so the night before the race, uh, because I just wasn't mentally in it, and I was just like, ah, 
I'm gonna go do it, whatever, whatever happens. If I quit, I quit. The night before the race, I ate like a slice of cheesecake like this. It was like the slice of a pizza. And I was like, all right, cool, cheesecake's done, put it in the fridge, <laughs> went to bed. And that was it. So maybe in the past, all the, the leading up to the race, maybe I'm doing too much cutting down on calories. Maybe I'm watching too much of what I eat. Maybe I'm not getting enough carbohydrate. Maybe I'm not getting enough sugars. Maybe I'm not getting enough. And maybe I'm so concerned about race weight and trying to lose and be as lean as I can. Maybe I'm starving my muscles and starving my my glycogen stores is what I started thinking. I was like, maybe, maybe there's something to everything that I've been just, maybe I haven't been doing enough in the past. Cause this is the very first out of five marathons riding cramp. The very first one. Well, I mean, you, you, you also, you also like, did the hardest event you've ever done too, right? So your special is like here yeah. and you just, you came and did another yeah. event where you were mentally, you were like, you know, you knew it's not gonna be as, it wasn't gonna be as hard as what you just yeah, did mentally, mentally it wasn't gonna be as hard. It was an easy You were relaxed. Race. I was relaxed. You're eating whatever you wanted. It you was, felt good, yeah. you know, and it, it was, yeah, it sounds like it's a com combination of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was, it was a great race. Uh, I felt good about myself and it was, there's a PR, it was 250, 2.52, the course was long, so technically, uh, it was actually 2.51.22, because the course was 26.4, Yeah. so it was, I officially ran my first ultra marathon, because by definition, ultra nice. marathon is anything longer than 26.2, nice. I googled it, so I'm an ultra marathoner, everybody, <laughs> right on, that, man. That brings us to current day, trying to get back on riding the bike, and yeah. Uh, I'm gonna try to avoid doing what I always do, which is we discussed this. I, I finish my long running race and I throw my running shoes away and I just ride right. the bike. So I'm gonna try to avoid that this this go around. I'm gonna try and work in a couple runs a week and keep a little bit so I don't have to start all over again. And I haven't decided if I want to do Boston now, 2018, because uh, anyone that uh, knows me or any close friends of mine or anyone on Facebook, they know. Now we're gonna have a kid. It's gonna be a miniature version of. Miniature version of someone look, looking like Pablo or myself who's running around. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna have a baby in November. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of gonna change uh, what happens, I guess, for uh, April if we, if we can get the family to Boston. And yeah. What'll happen? So maybe Boston 2018. I'd like to. I think. Who knows, man? You'll, you'll be maybe you'll be like super motivated, like even yeah. more motivated. Yeah. You know? that was, like. That was another thing too, because we did know when we were in Boston, we knew we were gonna, uh, we knew we were pregnant, and uh, that was something else too. That you know, it's kind of can't can't have my kid knowing his dad quit. Yeah, that's not yeah. good. So got to you know set a good example, and um, it's tough, you know, doing doing these events and anything you want to do, and uh, if, if the, during the race during Boston, there was an 84 year old man that finished. And the first woman to ever run it uh, 50 years after. She was 70 years old, Catherine Switzer, she finished. And it's just, I, I, I passed, along the course, I passed a blind man who was running. He had two guides that had him on a tether so he didn't crash into anyone. Yeah. A blind man ran. There was mis uh, soldiers with missing limbs. There was, there was men pushing strollers uh, with you know disabled people. It was just, it was an awesome event. If you want to feel good about the human spirit, go spectate the Boston Marathon. You'll yeah. you'll definitely feel patriotic. You'll feel good about the human spirit. I feel it just from hearing your story, it's man. Yeah. It's a good race. It's a, it's a good thing to do. So.
definitely. definitely. Well, we're gonna have to catch up later this year to see how your training is going and, <laughs> and maybe talk about cycling. Get <laughs> some bike races this year. That's that's the plan. Get some yeah. bike races in there. That's awesome, man. Do that. So. Well, um, congrats, you know, on, on on your baby as well to you and your wife. Um, on your training, uh, you know, this past experience that you had in Boston seems like it's very, very impactful into your life. It's a very positive thing that's oh, yeah. happened to you. That's changed me. And to everyone around you as well. Um, would you like a moment just to say thanks, you know, to, to your core group, your uh, your warriors around you, the people that always support you? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just a big shout out, you know, to whoever you like. Gotta, gotta thank my wife. Uh, she probably has the hardest job dealing, dealing with me. My sarcasm and all of my uh, jokes and picking at her and making fun of her. Love you. Thank you. Uh, and always having to deal with my legs hurt, my knees hurt, my back hurts, my, my glutes hurt, everything hurts. Rub me, massage me. Yeah. All of that. So uh, thank her for that. Uh, thanks to my parents for coming to Boston. Uh, thank them for you know raising someone that doesn't quit. Yeah, my, my parents never quit, they never give up. My dad always you know, does his best, you know, something else. Uh, you know, it's still upon me with you know, do something to do your best at it. You know, if you're gonna do it half ass, why even bother doing it? Uh, that's what I No half ass, always a full ass. That's the way to do it. Uh, you know, thank uh, thank all my friends and everyone I ride with. Uh, Chris Gagne, teammate from uh, City. All the guys on the Lifetime Rides and the Jokies Group Rides and the Pro Cycle Saturday Rides and all you guys that uh, give me someone to chase and someone to push me and motivate me and guys that, you know, all their tips and advice and uh, support along the way and the well wishes and congratulations. All, all you guys that, you know, we all, we all know each other, we all see each other on the road and wave and it's uh, a lot of fun. And, yeah, it's a good support group that we have here in the community and just getting bigger and bigger. Team. So it's, it's inspiring to see everyone out there, all the gamers, people that you, you know and uh, you've seen them you know, get better and faster and stronger. It's just great. And, uh, it's a couple that we've lost and in action and some things throughout the year. It's sad and just helps raise awareness. It kind of gets everybody together and keeps you uh, close to the community and you know that everyone can take care of each other. Anything ever goes back. So. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks Yo, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, no problem, man. Good Thank seeing you. you. Pablo, right? Yeah. <laughs>